The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Fast Money starts right now, live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Steve Grosso, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, nothing can stop this rally. The market's surging to record highs despite a delayed tax reform bill and uncertainty around the future of the Fed. Reports saying that President Trump will pick frontrunner and Fed governor Jerome Powell. Our own Steve Leesman is working the phones right now. will join us with the very latest. Plus, two huge after-hours movers, Facebook jumping to all-time highs as a stock beats while Tesla sinks after its earnings report. We're following every moment of these earnings calls. Julia Borson's in L.A. on the Facebook call. That's starting right now. Phil LeBeau in Chicago getting ready to jump on the Tesla call. And Fast Money friend and tech guru Gene Munster is in Minneapolis tag-teaming both of those conference calls on the red phone. We start, though, with Tesla. The stock sinking after reporting a wider-than-expected loss entering a bear market after hours as it approaches that key $300 level. Let's get to Phil LeBeau for all the details. And, Phil, the details are in that shareholder letter and there are a lot of details when it comes to the model three a lot of details in there about the model three we'll talk about that in a little bit but the free cash flow for the quarter melissa listen to this negative 1.4 billion dollars for tesla they ended the quarter with three and a half billion dollars in cash on hand that's one reason why the stock is under pressure but as you mentioned when it comes to model three the company has issued new guidance if you will in terms of its production schedule it now says that it expects to build 5,000 Model 3s per week by the end of the first quarter. What were the production bottlenecks, at least as much as they're going to tell us in this investor letter, had to do with the battery modules being built at the Gigafactory. They could not get those into production as quickly as they would have liked. So what we know is that 5,000 per week by the end of the first quarter with an update on full-year production coming in January when they release their full-year delivery numbers. As you take a look at shares of Tesla, keep in mind that this conference call at 5.30 will be chock-full of questions for Elon Musk, most of them about the Model 3, but you can bet the company's cash position will also get a lot of questions. Melissa? I mean, we knew how many Model 3s were produced in the quarter because of the timing right. of the latest delivery numbers. So I guess the question would be how many were produced to this date. Do you think we're going to get that sort of color on the conference call so we can see how the progression Ooh. towards that ramp no. is? Okay. I would be surprised. I would be surprised only because I think they will say, look, it's it's very lumpy. You might have a little bit of a surge over a couple of days, and then you'll have some downtime. I'm, that's just my conjecture at this point. So I don't think that they're going to give us that kind of detail. But certainly the questions will be, where are you right now? Where do you expect to be by the end of the year? So that we can then say, okay, this is where you plan to be by the end of the first quarter. They're also talking in the Outlook section of that letter, Phil, that they plan to produce 10% fewer S's and X's in the fourth quarter, shifting that production to the Model 3, which will in turn right. bring down uh, gross margins for the fourth quarter yes. by about four basis, four, four percentage points, I should say, versus 
the third quarter. Was that expected or is that a bigger shift than expected? Uh, I'm not sure anybody had it modeled in mm -hmm. for that much of a shift, which, with that much specificity. Uh, I think people did expect some of that shift, but I'm not sure people were expecting that much, Melissa. All right. Uh, Phil, we'll check in with you a little bit later on after the conference call gets underway. Phil LeBeau uh, in Chicago for us. Um, again, that shift, 15 uh, percent now in the fourth quarter is what they see in terms of gross automotive margin. Q3, just to give you a comparison, is 18.7 percent. So that's almost a four percentage point drop here. What do you make of this drop in the stock? Well, we listen, kudos to BK, number one, because over the September or so, he started talking about the potential for a double top. And we had talked about that for a long time, the need for Tesla to get through that sort of th that, that 390 level, which it failed at. Now, here we are. This is a replication that we saw back in June. Stock went from 385, basically down to 310 and bounced. We talked about this a week or so ago. Steve and I were sitting together. Tim was over there. I think there's a real good chance this trends down back to 280. What was basically resistance for two years in 2014 and 2015 becomes support. I think there's enough in this quarter to give Bear some ammunition to push it on the downside. But if you really parse through this thing, it's, it's, a, it's a mix now. They're going from one, they're going from the, the S to the, to the X. I think there's some slippage involved. But in terms of margins, margins will reaccelerate. I think early next year. So I do think there's enough for everybody. But the big concern is going to be this cash burn is significant. What do they need to do? So, so Guy was uh, on, on point. Uh, Tim was negative. BK was negative. Guy was talking about that 280 level in the, in the, uh, in the charts. Mm -hmm. I didn't think we would break the, the 200 day, which is 318. So this is extremely bearish for me. But we go back now. Long. I am not long, but not we long go right back now. to May. These are May levels. So I think you could see some support ahead of guys' levels. I do think that every time you look at it as a car company, you get disappointed, and then the bulls come out and say it's not just a car company. So I think you have the potential here to bounce the stock around these levels where we are right now. What do you make of what they said about Well, I think the it's kind of a hope company, you know, mm -hmm. and hope hasn't, it hasn't been doing so well. I mean, to me, the idea that production, okay, they have the reasons why it was slower this, this quarter, but we've heard this production story more than a couple of times. The idea that by the end of January, they'll really have it figured out and be able to give the full <laughs> right. year production guidance, Oops. that's sort of a stretch to me. So I don't know if, you know, I think when you have a multiple like this and hope starts to crack, I mean, what's the right multiple? I don't know. I know Timmy's been bearish on this for a long time. I've just found it too expensive. Wouldn't short it. Wouldn't be long it. I don't get it. Yeah, I mean, look, being shorted has certainly been a really dangerous and painful thing. And for the guys that got short this stock, I'm not sure they were even able to hold at certain levels. We know the short interest is, is you know, really still very high. But I, you know, hope stock, to me, is an understatement. And, and if you think about the, the built-in multiple from autonomous, from automation, from the, you know, from the gigafactory, from the grid. I mean, you know, all these things that are part of why Tesla is not an auto company, fine. Um, but, but the reality is $1.3 billion in cash burn? I mean, you can't refute the fact that there's a growing chasm between their deliveries and their cash burn. And in other words, what, or, or what they're supposed to deliver. Forget the cash for a second, sorry. Between what's promised, we're going kind of sideways in terms of deliveries, and we're actually moving much wider, I Do think. you, though, concede, though, at least, that when it comes to ramping up production of a brand new vehicle, that up front is going to be the majority Absolutely. of the cash burn, and that there could actually be 
uh, it could be step function in terms of once they once they get those bottlenecks nailed down. I, I agree with that, and, and please come in. But after I say that, I, I think the part of the problem for Tesla is that they're trying to launch five new things at once. I mean, I think this company's way too distracted, at least in terms well, of what, in terms of what their them. focus. And, and well, it's helped them be, with investors. It's helped them raise capital. Right. It's helped them. But, have, but uh, and, and I'm, I'm trying not to sound like a jerk when I say this. All the reasons that you just stated on the bear side could have been said a year ago, and, the, and this stock has ramped up to a high of 386, basically, just, just a few months ago. Well, so who cares where there it was. Is the it's ability. a 307 right now. And so, I mean, no, no, but, you know, when you don't... say that, though, but guys that were short, you said it, you started off 100% correct. Being short this name is a painful process. There's a 20% short interest, and that's why the stock can still rally. But, okay, I mean, again, I, I don't that, care that the stock got to 380. That was yesterday, man. Yeah, but I mean, you, you know, that cares? was yesterday, but, but there were people that were short. There were people that were negative. There were people that were negative from 200 in the stock. So you should care. I'm not saying you're wearing it. I'm saying I, that the same well, case, the all. same case that the Bears made could have been made a year ago. And that's my point. That's true. But at some point, every good story breaks. We saw this time and time again with a lot of good stories out there where people didn't want to believe that the story got broken and they stuck with it. What if this is the beginning of the break? Yeah, I don't think it's the beginning of the break. I, I think it, you can make a, a very compelling argument that it is. I don't think it is. The, I will tell you what's going to be fascinating for me is to see what analysts come out and see what, what does Adam Jonas say tomorrow about Tesla? What do some, some of the analysts we've had on the show for a while talk, say about this name? I think there's enough for the bulls to still hold on to some hope. But I'm telling you, there's more for the bears to push. So I think you're going to see price targets get ratcheted down. And I do think there's a very real chance that over the next couple of trading days, we put that 280 print and then we'll have a conversation. If you're looking for an entry point into Tesla, do you go in now thinking that around the corner, meaning in a couple of weeks, there's going to be a semi-truck unveil? In Fremont, California, which could okay. be the next catalyst for the stock. Well, don't you want to see how analysts, you know, I can't, I, I, I can't imagine. There won't be a lot of analysts who sort of rethink their numbers, at least give it the well, three-day they're, they're going to. They're going to be, and analysts are, by, uh, are always late on this. They're always reactive, not proactive. So I think that this could be, this is the moment where you either decide, do I want to step in and buy a quarter position? Do I want to add to my long? I, I think you have to decide now because we know those analysts are going to be a little bit late on this. Well, do you? I mean, I'm not, yeah. you know, what would you do That's here? That's fair. Steve? You've been is, in and out, so in? I, I don't, but when you stick me with a wood eye, how, how long have you been? You're are, here, are, are man. You, are you short the name? Were so, you short the name when it went up $200 in your face? Why are we talking about yesterday? Because you just no you, sense to well, me. He because here's what I'd rather talk about, thing. Steve. I'd rather so, talk about the fact that people have talked about Tesla for the last two years as if there's no competition in the EV auto space. Bottom line is, over the last six months, the reason GM is re-rated, the reason Ford is re-rated, the, the German autos have gone through the roof, and we see what's going on in China. This is not Tesla's exclusive domain. That's part of the reason why the stock actually is coming off. You don't want to answer in or out Tesla, but I will ask you this question, and it is in the form of would you rather. Sure. Would you rather right now, fresh capital to work, GM or Tesla? Ooh. Mm. Mm. Tick, 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 tick. <laughs> tick, tick. This is a TV show with limited Tesla. time. <laughs> Tesla. All right. Okay, Steve's very bullish Tesla, everybody. <laughs> um, stock is down 4% more than right now. Bear market territory. Again, the conference call is underway. We'll bring you all the developments as we have them. Meantime, coming up, shares of Facebook. It's Facebook hitting an all-time high after hours, although giving back some of those gains. The conference call is underway as we speak. We'll hear from CEO Mark Zuckerberg later this hour on the quarter on Russia, on everything, basically. Get instant reaction from Gene Munster. Plus, Papa John says it has a football problem. The company's CEO blaming the NFL. And you will not believe what he had to say about Com Commissioner Roger Goodell. 
And later, it's the moment all of Wall Street has been waiting for, the most important decision President Trump will make to date. Who will be the new chair of the Federal Reserve? Reports are flying that it could be Jerome Powell. Her own Steve Leisman working his sources. We'll get you the latest right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shake Shack surging, briefly touching a 52-week high in the after-hour session. Kate Rogers is in the newsroom with all the details. Hi, Kate. Hey there, Melissa. That's right. Shake Shack reporting a strong quarter with beats on the top and bottom lines. Same Shack sales, that's their measure of comps, also declined less than expected in this quarter. Now, the company opened nine new locations in the quarter, also increased their guidance for the year, saying they're going to open between 24 and 26 new domestic company-owned Shacks in 2017, 18 net new licensed Shacks. CEO Randy Garudi saying next year will be its biggest yet. The company's increased its guidance to a range of 32 to 35 new domestic company-owned locations for the year, 16 to 18 net new license shacks during that time period. Shake Shack also had a tiny raise in their comp store guidance for the year. Now, on the conference call, Garuti said they are actively testing new technology, including their cashless kiosk, only experience store in Astor Place. They're also increasing personalization of the menu, which consumers really like. Despite being pleased with the quarter, they were, of course, impacted by weather, adding that hurricanes led to nine checks closing temporarily with a sales loss estimated at $300,000. The stock, though, of course, reacted nicely. It's up more than 4% in the after-hours trade, also up around 4% year-to-date. Melissa, back over to you. All right, Kate, thanks. Kate Rogers uh, in the newsroom. We should note that short interest on the stock is pretty high, 44% of shares outstanding short. So what we are seeing yeah, moving towards 50%, huge valuation in the stock. And then we talked about $40 has been a level that it's been unable to get through now for the last couple of years. You have to ask yourself, is this quarter good enough to get the shorts to cover? I think it's good. I don't think it's good enough. Margins are hanging in there, which is a good sign. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when you're talking about a company with a valuation like that, you need growth to accelerate, in my opinion, a lot faster than it currently is. I don't think it breaks through 40 on the upside. Yeah, I think what's tough for investors right now is the best thing for this company, and a couple analysts have written about this, this is a theme, uh, is to invest in their future. And so in the short run, that's very difficult at a valuation that's very expensive with comps that are based upon, at least right now, what we think are the best locations they could possibly comp off of. And I think that's the issue. I will say this. Um, the chart has spent a year basing. And if you look at charts and you look at the price action, this is constructive. All right. We should note that Shake Shack CEO Randy Garuti will join us live on Monday for his first post-earnings interview. He and Guy Dang. will actually have a special surprise to the traders. We hope it's Shake Shack's. <laughs> you won't want to miss that. Can't that's wait. Monday, Guy, 5 p.m. Well, what would it be, Tim? I don't know. If Randy Kazuri <laughs> and I have a surprise, it's not going to be, you know, it's going to be a surprise. We're not going to bring you something from, what's that place you used to work at at Galleria? That would be Quick Snacks in exactly. the Galleria <laughs> Mall. <laughs> if that is still in business. Probably remember me. Anyway, right, speaking of fast food, check out shares of Papa John's sinking nearly 8% today after its earnings report. The CEO pointing fingers at the NFL for its slipping sales on the conference call this morning. The NFL has heard us. And more importantly, by not resolving the current debacle to the player and owner satisfaction, this should have been nipped in the bud a year and a half ago. Like many sponsors, we are in contact with the NFL. And once the issues is are resolved between the players and the owners, we are optimistic that the NFL's best years are ahead. But good or bad, leadership starts at the top, and this is an example of poor leadership. Papa John's is a sponsor of the league, so is the NFL to blame, or does Papa John's have a real pizza problem? <laughs> Steve. 
Well, it, it looks like they're down 27% year-to-date, and if you look at Domino's Pizza, they're up 11% year-to-date, but it, there's definitely a problem with pizza for the last month uh, versus burgers. You could see Shake Shack, you could see McDonald's, you could see burgers versus this type of meal. I don't know if it's an NFL deal or not. I don't know if it's an NFL problem or not. Um, I would say that if, the NFL, if they're blaming on the NFL and it gets better, then you could buy these stocks because this is at support. But I would wait a little bit before we decide this is the time to rush in on pizza. I would think they have excellent data as to whether this correlates with the NFL. I mean, right? They have the data what time every order came in, right, during the game. So I mean, you buy it. You buy it. You believe them. I believe them. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. it might, be not, might <laughs> not be all of it. Maybe it's seeding some share to Domino's, although they're both going down. I, I believe it. That yeah. was pretty striking, that very clear shout-out to... Roger Goodell, that, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, but, I mean, and so are, are they that reliant on the NFL, and how good does that make you feel? I don't think they are, by the <laughs> way. Okay, so just to be clear, I mean, the pizza industry in this country, Guy probably owned a pizza place at one point. But very fragmented. Um, and there's a Domino's lot of room before. for the big boys, including Domino's, to consolidate. There's a lot of that to go. Um, International is a third of their sales. They have a heavy runway there. So if you're looking for growth from this company that trades, you know, roughly 19 times forward, it's not terribly expensive, especially when you look at the others in the space. Multiples in the entire fast food place have gone higher. I'll say this. Labor costs are going to go up for these yeah. guys, and, yeah, I'd be and food costs. Mm -hmm. I'd be careful. Yeah. Uh, I know that you're, um, you may be biased because of your time. Because of your time. At I thought you were going to say something else. My heritage. I, no, no, I no, thought no. I was going to hear the word no. heritage. Oh, no. I'm glad it was my Why time. Why would I even know? Well, we no, I'm Italian-American. You know what I mean? I'm Italian. 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 Working at Domino's. Yes, I did work see, at Domino's. So look at that. Oh, no. Look. Oh, wait a second. Wait, that's you at Shake Shack. Hey, the surprise is being blown. Who played that <laughs> footage? How did we even get that? I haven't actually, even done it. Yet. You know what? That's a tease. We wouldn't have known that actually. Anyway, I spent time at Domino's. I'm sort of first of all, I don't like the fact that he went so he, the CEO, went so hard after the NFL. Don't bite the hand that, that feeds it, it allegedly feeds you. No pun intended. <laughs> so you know, when, when things were great, I didn't hear him trumpeting how great the NFL was. Although I'm sure he felt that. Now he's taking the other side. Not a fan. But at 19 times forward earnings, I don't think it's crazy expensive. And the short interest is such that maybe people start to get squeezed if it turns to the upside. But he not the hand that feeds the NFL? <laughs> oh, I mean, he's a sponsor. Yes. Oh. They feed, they feed. Yes. It looks like a, yeah. it's a circular hand. Circular ah. hand. Circular hand. hand. Still ahead. <laughs> Check out shares of Facebook and Tesla. Facebook giving up all its after-hours gains while Tesla is tanking. We're following both those conference calls. Tesla's will begin shortly. We'll bring you the latest details next. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. Our long national nightmare is over. That's what some investors are saying about rebounding energy stocks. But if you miss the move higher, there's one stock that traders say you can still buy. Plus, the future of the Fed begins tomorrow when President Trump picks one of these people to lead the Federal Reserve. And a top BlackRock strategist tells us which one he thinks would be best for stocks when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Tomorrow, President Trump is expected to announce the next Federal Reserve chair. And reports are flying that the president is leaning toward Jay Powell. Let's get to Steve Leisman in Washington with more on this developing story. Hi, Steve. Hey, Melissa. Yeah, all the King's sources and all the King's men saying President Donald Trump will choose Fed Governor Jay Powell as the next Fed chief. The White House confirming an announcement is coming tomorrow, but not specifically confirming the choice. Others have been doing that. Well, why Powell? The 64-year-old native of Washington, D.C., he's a Republican appointed to the Fed in 2012 by 
President Obama. So he's seen maybe something as a compromise candidate. He's seen continuing the gradual rate hike policy of Fed Chair Janet Yellen and yet more in favor of changing some of those post-crisis bank regulations than Yellen. That said, he has backed most of those reforms, certainly more than the president has. Powell, his former partner at the private equity firm Carlyle Group, where he amassed a fortune in the tens of millions, we're told. Here's what he said earlier this month about the global economy and the outlook for U.S. rates. You've got, uh, for the first time in quite a while, synchronized growth around the world. You've got a dollar that is, uh, is flat to down. You've got commodity prices up, and you have really significant reduction in, uh, in downward pressure on, on the Chinese currency. So all of this, I think, is taking place uh, against a, uh, a backdrop where, as long as this backdrop sustains, it's, it's, uh, it's likely that, uh, that the process of normalization will, will proceed without significant disruptions. Worth pointing out that Powell stands opposed with some Republican Fed critics. He has definitively called the easy monetary policy of the post-crisis era a success. So, Melissa, that maybe sets up for some, you know, fisticuffs or whatever you want to call it at the hearings. Um, not a lot, maybe, but, but he's, uh, he's also said that he doesn't think the Fed ought to do a lot of tinkering with the economy. Right. Steve, thank you. Steve Leisman in Washington, D.C. for us. So what does this mean for the markets? This is the consensus view uh, in terms of Fed picks, Tim. Steve, very plugged in. Great to get that insight. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, look, you said it on the lead-in in the last block. This is the most important decision that Donald Trump has made yet. If that's the case, there should be some fear. Look, no matter what, changing continuity at the Fed, to me, is something that the market should not be blasé about. I agree. This gentleman has proven to be as dovish as at least the status quo. I think that's ultimately very good. I want the Fed to be independent. I don't want this guy to be a puppet of Donald Trump. Uh, but to say that the Fed, I think people are overall too complacent on the impact of the Fed. We had an ADP number this morning which showed that there was an enormous amount of pressure in terms of labor. And I think the job market is something that they have missed. And I think PCE is not a good gauge of inflation. I am always surprised at how complacent everybody is about the Fed, considering what the Fed has done has set us up for markets totally. at record highs. And the Fed is embarking on getting off of that easy money path. Mm -hmm. What could go wrong, right? Inflation. Well, a lot could Inflation go wrong. Inflation could go wrong. Especially I mean, if we have tax in the mix. Right. And, yeah. and then I guess, so I guess we could have an infrastructure somewhere in there, too. Mm -hmm. But that's way down the road, if at all. I don't know. I think that... Inflation is really the most important thing here, more important than the Fed chair, more important than, I, I mean, I think the policy will probably be similar. I think they've done a great job of laying out what they're doing, why they're doing it, and when. But to me, if inflation starts to tick up, which I think will happen, that's the risk. All right. For more on which candidate would be best for the markets, let's bring in Terry Simpson, BlackRock's multi-asset investment strategist. Terry, good to see you. Good to see you guys again. Uh, tomorrow, Jay Powell is announced. What, what do we do? I think the markets will actually like that. So Powell basically represents continuity from the current Board of Governors. He's obviously some of the status quo. If we were to get a John Taylor nomination, uh, surprise the markets a little bit, and that would be somewhat of a worry for the markets. Now, obviously, John Taylor is not going to run monetary policy off of his uh, famous rule. But the reality is, if you look at his rule, at least right now, that's indicating, depending what variables you put into the calculate the formula, should be about 150 to 200 basis points higher than what the Fed funds rate is. So the markets would take power because that would represent the gradual, predictable manner that the Fed has done such a good job over the last couple of years of telling the markets. Let's say he chooses Powell. Let's say we have some sort of tax cuts, not even putting infrastructure in the mix. Is the risk to the markets uh, to the downside or to the upside? 
The rest of the markets is the upside if we mostly get tax cuts. But the reality is you still have to, again, the Fed, I think Karen said this or maybe Grosso said this, the Fed is independent. And so if we get an overheating economy, we're already growing above potential in the United States. So we're growing about 2, 2.1 percent. But long-run potential GDP is probably one and three quarters. So if we get that tax cut, that kind of extra stimulus right now, we're probably going to get that inflationary dynamics. The Fed comes in, basically raises interest rates a little bit quicker. We should see somewhat of a knock-on effect for the equity markets. That would be the challenge there. Terry, when does this flattening yield curve, which very quietly or maybe not so quietly, is at levels we haven't seen, I think, in a decade or so. 75 bps today. In terms of two to ten years. When does that matter, if at all? Yeah, it's interesting. So if you look at interest rates right now, both two, two and ten years have been shifting up over the last month or so. Equity markets still continue to look past it. So there is a fun, fundamental story here that markets are accepting that. When we look at the flattening the yield curve, obviously we think we're going to have a steeper yield curve. But to have the back end move up, you have to have inflation move up, right? Because one of the elements for, for interest rates is having a premium for inflation risk. If you don't have inflation out there, bond investors, nominal bond investors say, we don't need that premium so we can bid down the price. So where do you want to be right now with the markets where they are in, in your outlook? Yeah, so obviously, you know, multi-asset, and obviously, you know, my team works on multi-asset strategies. We still want to be investing in equities relative to the bonds. You know, the reality is that we still think economic cycle is strong. It can persist for a couple more quarters. So we like equities. We like being exposed to cyclically-oriented sectors. We like financials. We like value. We even like technology, given their strong run of TAD. So that's where we think we want to be invested, particularly within equities, but equities relative to the bonds. I think I asked you this last time we were here. In terms of worldwide asset allocation, where do you put the rest of the world versus the U.S.? Yeah, so a lot of money still flowing in the international markets, Europe, emerging markets, and Japan. The big worry for emerging markets, obviously Tim can talk about this as well, the big worry for emerging markets is if the Fed goes a little bit more, the rate dollar moves higher. But we've seen kind of a mini correction right now in the U.S. dollar. I will say you got a preface here. We're, spoiler, we're going to write about the dollar this week in our commentary. But if the dollar moves significantly higher, that could be a headwind for, for emerging markets. But we still think the dollar is going to be rel move relatively uh, muted. And so emerging markets can kind of withstand this move here. Terry, thanks. Good to see you. Good to see you guys. BlackRock. Steve. So, so the market has already digested <laughs> rates moving up in December. Everyone thinks they're moving up in December. Mm -hmm. I wonder if someone new is coming in. I, I wonder if we don't see what that does to the marketplace if we don't see rates move higher in December. I think everyone has factored in this trade so much so that there's a the, the so why wouldn't they move at this point though I, I, why wouldn't there's we a see case it? there's a case to be made that they could sit on their hands. Why? Well, what could, would that case because, be? Because because you talk about inflation, I get it. There's inflation if you if you know where to look, there's inflation, but I don't think there's an overwhelmingly amount of uh, of of inflation that the that it would leave the Fed susceptible to just skip out on one. Well, this one's sort of for free, though, right? Everyone knows it's going to happen. Why not have the markets have digested it? Why right? not go ahead and do it? Because and we've then seen, be able we've to seen, have something later if things turn around. We've seen the implied indication of whether rates are going higher. We've seen it up 85 to 85 percent. We see it dive, dive down to 70 percent. Steve, I think, think it would the catch Fed is the behind market. the curve on inflation? No, I don't think they are. I mean, okay, because that's what you're saying. So that's consistent. I, 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 think, I, I think right I, now I, I think they, they don't are. need. I don't. I don't think they are. I don't. I think they have the ability to sit on their hands one more cycle through. And I think that would. But be... But they're trying to normalize. They're not trying to, yeah. to to be in a rate hike cycle. They're trying to normalize. 
So I, you don't, you know, you, you're not in a position to say, hey, it's okay right now. I mean, they, they have to move. I think the great thing that we've all said here, this Fed has been as transparent as they possibly can be. At one point, we thought this was blasphemous from the Fed, and people never believed them. So for the first two or three years of Bernanke, that was one of the reasons why we had this volatility. They will say what they, they will do what they say. Um, I do think that the global economy benefits from this. I think if they did nothing in December, I think that could be a potentially, yeah. <laughs> A yeah. sell-up for the market. Because yeah. my question, I would sit here and say, what do they know that I don't know? Right. And what are they seeing that we're not seeing? I think that could be a potential negative. I do think they move, though. All right. Coming up, Facebook taking a leg lower moments ago. The stock giving up all of its after-hours gains. Now down around 1%. We'll tell you uh, what was just said on the conference call that's got investors hitting that sell button. Plus, check out the recent move in energy stocks surging in the last week. Our traders say there's one name you can still buy. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Energy stocks on fire as oil nears its highest level since July 2015. Let's get to Bob Bassani at the New York Stock Exchange for all the details. Hi, Bob. Hello, Melissa. Oil has hit its highest level since January, and there's very good reasons for that. First, OPEC has stuck to its production cuts for the most part and is now talking about extending them. And second, this is important, demand growth has been pretty decent. So earnings have been coming in for many of these exploration production companies and oil service companies this week. Cabot, Devon, Newfield, for example, all have traded up since their earnings report. Now, big oil names like Exxon, especially BP earlier this week, they're also trading up in the days since their earnings release. So oil companies are benefiting from two trends. First, obviously, higher commodity prices. That's the big story. But second, more discipline on capital spending. That's an important part of this. As a result, the trading volume in these energy ETFs, like the XOP, the Exploration Production ETF, and the OIH, that's the Oil Services ETF, OIH, they've been higher, much higher volumes in the last week or so. But this oil rally hasn't really translated into an oil stock rally, at least not yet. Many tried to buy into the oil rally earlier this year, but when oil fell apart in the middle of the year, and it fell apart twice, investors just gave up and the big oil ETFs just fell apart, and they never really recovered. There's one exception to this sad tale, and that's the refiners. So the refiners as a group are up over 36% this year, far outperforming the EMP and the oil service names. Refiners have notably outperformed partly because gasoline prices started rising in the middle of the year against the price of oil and rose notably after the hurricanes shut down some refineries. You can see Phillips 66 went parabolic on the hurricanes. It was up more than 10 percent in September. So what happens next? It all depends on oil. There's talk we could be staying here in the mid-50s. It may be even moved towards the 60s. That would make the Saudis happy. If we start moving towards 60, the big question, will the U.S. fracking industry ramp up production or will they show some discipline? We should have these problems, Melissa. Back to you. Bob, thanks. Bob Pisani at the New York Stock Exchange. It does seem like that is the cycle that they always go in, right? right? That last part is the most critical. The last critical. part. <laughs> do, they, do we see a lot more supply and the whole thing just unravels? Crumbles, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Except, except for the fact that rig counts have been down since July. And, and, and if you think about it, what, Don, what, what, what he talked about is ultimately a case of where you've got CapEx that's been totally cut over the last mm -hmm. three years. I, I mean, I, look... You know, if I had to check the health on all the people who said, not in my lifetime will oil be above 50, let alone 60, uh, we should be running around looking for a lot of dead bodies. Because bottom line is, uh, I think people don't understand that OPEC has got solidarity. The fog's been lifted going into the, into the, the Vienna meeting on November 30. And actually, if you look at the drillers, I mean, Diamond Offshore is up 70 percent in the last, you know, whatever. Uh, I think the best place to play is oil services, because I think these guys are actually starting to see some capex. You've got the other support, potentially, of the Aramco IPO. 
Right, and, and I do think that, that this is that game going forward, and I think that's the ramp and that, that's the tailwind. But these are huge levels in WTI and in Brent that we haven't seen in quite some time. So we have to get over those on a technical basis, but I do think it's, it's too tempting for OPEC to cheat around 60 mm -hmm. in Brent and around 60 in WTI, forget about it. U.S. supply comes on. We've been talking about the refiners. I mean, you look at Valero. Which I think it's a 10-year high or something in Valero. Last time we traded this was, I think, 06 or so. But these levels we're trading at now, very important that we hold these levels in VLO. They just reported a few days ago. And we have been consistent in ExxonMobil since August. Karen and I were talking about this last night. $76 held, bounce, bounce, bounce. Here we are at 84. Listen, I think Exxon is still in a pretty significant downtrend, but we have said that. There's a good chance it prints 88 and remains in that in that downtrend. That's where I think it's going. Still ahead, two big after-hours movers, Facebook and Tesla. Facebook giving up all its after-hours gains while Tesla flirts with bear market territory. The conference calls are underway. We'll hear from CEOs Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk in just a few minutes. And it wouldn't be earnings without our friend Gene Munster. He has dialed into both those calls. We'll give us his key takeaways from the quarter. Much more fast money on this very busy night. Straight ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. Facebook giving up all its after-hours gains. Julia Vorson is listening on the call. She'll tell us what Zuckerberg had to say. Julia. Well, Melissa, Mark Zuckerberg kicked off Facebook's earnings call by jumping straight into the growing controversy over Russian-purchased ads on Facebook. Take a listen to what he said. I've expressed how upset I am that the Russians tried to use our tools to sow mistrust. We built these tools to help people connect and to bring us closer together. And they use them to try to undermine our values. What they did is wrong, and we are not going to stand for it. Zuckerberg saying that the company is going to prioritize protecting its community over profits. To that end, CFO David Weiner saying that 2018 will be a significant investment year, guiding that next year's total expenses will grow 45 to 60 percent. That acceleration in expenses is thanks to sizable security investments in people and technology. The company is also investing in video content to support its watch tab, also making long-term investments in initiatives such as artificial intelligence. Zuckerberg stressing the importance of making the investment in security in particular. I am dead serious about this. And the reason I'm talking about this on our earnings call is that I've directed our teams to invest so much in security on top of the other investments we're making, that it will significantly impact our profitability going forward. Zuckerberg, as well as CEO Sheryl Sandberg, stressing their focus on community of users, using that term throughout, also talking about their community of advertisers. Sandberg noting that they have now reached 6 million advertisers on Facebook. Melissa, back over to you. So, Julia, that's an increase in 18, 45 to 60 percent on top of a year which saw an increase in 40 to 45 percent year on year. Is that correct? Yes. So it's interesting. If you look at the operating expenses for this past quarter, they came in just a hair lighter than expectations. But there's been a lot of talk from Facebook about how they're going to continue to invest to drive growth. Now their operating expenses are you know, projected to grow significantly more than what the company previously said. Some of that is about the content investment they're making, which, by the way, I want to note that Zuckerberg stress is not about supposed to be about passive content, but they want to invest in the kind of content that people will talk about. Interesting that he noted that people tend to talk about sports video. Um, so perhaps I'm hinting that they might make some video investments there. But also it's really about this investment in security. 
people and technology that are going to prevent this kind of situation from happening again. Is Back it your understanding that the spending will also include, when it comes to protecting our community, include um, tools, people to protect political uh, ads or to make sure that they're from the proper sources or disclose where they're from? It's going to be about transparency and also um, about just sort of oversight. So this is right. going to be about everything, both political ads and issue ads. Issue ads are often the harder ones um, to monitor. But this is going to be about people and the algorithm. So both the, the humans that you need to hire and the technology uh, to help them as well. Julia, thanks. Julia Borson, who's on the conference call. Let's bring in Loop Ventures founder Gene Munster, Fast Money friend, for his take on Facebook's quarter. As you see there, he has been on the conference call as well on that red phone. So, Gene, you know, we were sort of joking in the green room before the show started that Facebook puts up good numbers and then they're going to get on the conference call or they're going to talk about spending more next year and the stock is going to go down. And that's what has happened. What's your interpretation of what they're saying and what they're outlining for 18 right now? Like you said, it's kind of their textbook, but I want to put some context around why this is a little bit different. If you take the low end of their expense guidance, they said, as you just had mentioned, 45 to 60 percent expense growth, the low end of that, that would imply about $4 billion in incremental investment. Now, that basically the street was looking for close to $20 billion for next year. So 20 to $24 billion, $4 billion. This is a huge number that they're going to be spending on. Now, not all that, as you're just talking about, is not going to be around privacy and transparency and kind of mitigating some of this divisiveness. It's going to be around, some of it's going to be around content. But still, I mean, just outrageous amounts of money that they're spending. And you can just tell that this whole issue has really uh, got under the skin of Mark Zuckerberg, and he's going to do anything he can to stomp it out. So I just want to put some context. It is different. That explains the pullback on the stock. But ultimately, this is a good thing for the platform. Gene, it's Karen. Let me just ask something. Even with expensive going up, you can cure a lot of margin problems with big revenue on a company like this. What's your take on not just this quarter, but looking forward for revenue for them? So this is the part that I kind of roll my eyes at, is their CFO went through three things and talked about that expense spending, but also said to expect revenue growth to decelerate in the quarters to come. Now, that's, that's almost a cut and paste from his prepared remarks every quarter. And so uh, they say that every quarter, and the revenue growth continues to be strong. And importantly is they've got some big pools that they can monetize, which they're not monetizing now, most notably Messenger and WhatsApp. And really, Instagram still is probably halfway through. And so I think that the uh, revenue growth for this story is going to remain uh, a, a bright spot for the next couple of years. But the expense side is going to be a little bit of a jab to earnings for the next few few quarters. All right, Gene, thanks for your analysis. We'll see you a little bit later on for your take on Tesla. Meantime, let's trade Facebook here on the desk. Shares are down by more than 1%. Gene had mentioned Messenger. The last quarter conference call, they did say that Messenger would be sort of a medium-term monetization. So these are sort of layers of monetization levers, as you like to put it, down the road. And they're going to be huge levers down the road. I mean, I think... You know, Gene, I think I don't think Gene danced around anything. I'll, I'll sort of won't dance around this. I think a lot of what Facebook said they had to say in terms of security spending, they had to say they're going to ramp it up because they have to say they're going to ramp it up. We'll see if they actually do. Uh, I think the quarter was outstanding. Operating margins were close to 50 percent. The street was at 44 percent. But I understand why the stock is selling off. I mean, when they say that 2018 is going to be a significant spend year, that scares people. This sounded, I totally agree, this sounded like a Capitol Hill 
testimony versus an earnings call. The stock is up 58% year to date. I think you have to be in this name, regardless of what he's saying. He's saying it to placate whatever voices are butting up against his or, or trying to push the latest headline news on top of him. He has to do this, but I think ultimately Facebook is still a buy. Yeah, I mean, look, 29 times next year doesn't make this stock expensive for the growth you're getting. And, and the ad rev growth is unbelievable, even though it's going to scale down a little bit into the third and the fourth quarters. Um, I do think the comps are really challenging for these guys, but I do think they have the ability. This OPEX intensity is an issue that, as Gene said, they, they do this all the time. Yeah. The, street was got, the street was expecting this even before this knew it had to be said. So I, I don't think the stock's reacting in a big way, frankly. I, I, I think it normally would have reacted a lot more. I mean, this was a gigantic quarter. I agree with everything you're saying. They have to say this. They have to increase the spend. I believe that. The only problem with this, with this quarter is that it was came out a week after, you know, Alphabet and last week. It did rally. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah. And so it rallied in front of it, and now here it is. So I, it was an outstanding quarter. Yeah. I'm hanging on. Pairing its losses, by the way, down less than any percent right now. Still ahead, Tesla dipping into bear market territory in the after-hour session. The conference call is underway, and we'll hear CEO. We hear CEO Elon Musk is getting a little bit feisty. Huh? <laughs> we'll bring you those comments. Plus, one trader who more than tripled his money in Alibaba this week says the stock has even more room to run. He'll tell us just how high. Much more fast money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of e-commerce giant Alibaba up more than 110% this year. And the options market is implying some pretty big moves when it reports earnings before the bell tomorrow. Let's get to Mike Cole out in Austin with more. Hi, Mike. Hi there. Yeah, traded over 300,000 contracts today. That makes it the third most active single stock option. And it traded more than double its average volume. And as you point out, the options market expecting about a 6% move which is pretty big when you consider how large this company is. And one of the notable trades we saw was a buyer of the November 200 calls, bought 4,000 of those, and then sold 4,000 each of the 15 calls in the 20s. Basically, this is somebody who's betting that this stock is going to make a move of about 15% to the upside within the next two weeks. All right. Thanks for that, Mike. Mike Ho in Austin for Washington's Action. Check out the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Um, so the stock is up 112% year to date. I'm still long it. This is a stock that's beaten on revenue for the last two years. They're making a heavy push in cloud and artificial intelligence. They're investing. It's still at a, at a great multiple. The average uh, price target on the street is $210. I'm still long it. I think the pathway of least resistance is still higher. Up next, Tesla sinking after hours. The conference call underway. CEO Elon Musk is getting a little heated. We'll bring you the comments right after this break. Welcome back to Fast Money. Tesla dipping into bear market territory after hours. Let's get to Phil LeBeau in Chicago, who has been on the conference call. Phil. And Melissa, let's get right to Elon Musk's comments regarding Model 3 production. Here he is talking about some of the issues that they're running into and his optimism that they think they have got a lot of these problems. At least they know what the problems are and they can solve them. The vast majority are going incredibly well. There are some problem areas. And uh, after I give the business overview, I'll, I'll do uh, a deep dive into the, the biggest problem area. And that biggest problem area, the production of the battery modules. They are now pushing out Model 3 production to 5,000 per week by the end of Q1. They'll give us an update on whether or not they hit 10,000 per week by the end of 2018. In 2000, uh, at the beginning of next year, that's when they'll give us an update. And with regard to that pushing out of the production of 5,000 per week, to the end of Q1, here's Musk talking about, and eh, the grand scheme of things, he doesn't think it's that big of a deal. 
this, uh, I mean, I think in the grand scheme of things, this is a relatively small shift. Uh, the Model 3 is a 10-year program, and so we're talking about uh, a few months out of a 10-year program. It's in the grand scheme of things, as at least one is doing um, net present value calculation, this is immaterial. We're going to hop back on the call, Melissa. One last thing. You mentioned that he's getting fairly heated. He went after journalists who wrote those stories about uh, mass firings after performance reviews at Tesla, saying they ought to be ashamed of themselves. We'll have more, obviously, tomorrow on Squawk Box regarding this call. Back to you. Yeah, I saw um, the Twitter feed saying that he didn't elaborate on how many people exactly were fired, et cetera. Did he talk at all about another report that he may have also panned on this conference call, or maybe he didn't, about um, uh, parts of the Model 3 actually being produced and finished by hand. Is that still going not, on? To, to, to my knowledge, Melissa, he has not addressed that. I have to be honest with you. Came out about two minutes ago to sit yeah. in the chair. So that might be going on right now. Sure. But so far, to my knowledge, he has not talked about that. All right, Bill, thanks. Let's get back to Gene Munster for his take on Tesla earnings. The shares, by the way, close to after-hours session lows, now down by 4.8%. What happened? It seemed like the, the stock took a, a little leg lower here in the past, I don't know, 10 minutes, Gene. Well, I think, by the way, I can answer your question you just had for okay. Phil about, you know, where are they making these by hand? And, and while you were talking to Phil, uh, I love that question from an analyst. He said that uh, Elon Musk had previously said that it's going to be manufacturing hell building Model 3. He said that back in the summer. And the analyst asked, how hot is it in hell right now? And he said it's uh, 9 out of 10. So I think they're making these Model 3s by hand right now, and they'll probably continue to do that for the next month or so and just gradually ramp out. But to answer your question about the, the stock trading off, I think that just this, maybe this combative uh, uh, approach that he's taking maybe isn't sitting too well with investors. It's his style, but I think that probably is having an impact on, on the stock. You've been a huge bull on the stock, Gene. So does your outlook on the stock change at all, even at the margins, based on what it is saying about Model 3 production pushing that $5,000, 5000 excuse me, target uh, to the end of Q1? My outlook that this is going to be the top performing large cap tech stock in the next five years hasn't changed. The news tonight and the pushback is a disappointment. And I think that I'm in the camp betting that he's done this in the past and he will ramp. And I would just caution investors, too. Again, I'm fully behind the story. None of that has changed. But we're going to see other disappointments. And uh, it's just a bigger opportunity, and he'll capitalize on that. All right, Gene, thanks for your analysis. Always good to see you. Gene Munster of Loop. Ventures. We are getting, again, a semi-truck unveil in the next couple of weeks. With that backdrop, with the earnings call still going on, you like this where the stock is right now? I, I, no, I still think we're going to have a 280 print over the next few trading okay. sessions. I'll stick to my guns. Final trade time. My time flies. Yes. Yeah, Qualcomm, I look, I think this guy, this stock now has a catalyst or two in it. I think the valuation is very interesting. Obviously, there's some issues. Karen. Yes, I bought Mattel puts. I don't think this Toys R Us story is over by a long shot. Russo. Alibaba looking for a pop on earnings. Best two words in sports, Mel, what are they? Let me hear you say it. Game, Game seven. seven. Nice. Wow. <laughs> Just rattled that That's right tonight, off. by the way. Eight. Brilliant. Eight. New core. <laughs> I'm Melissa Lee. Thanks for watching. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Money. Meantime, Mad Money with Jim Cramer begins right now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. 
Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.